Something I particularly enjoy about writers is that we have lots of ideas for books for other people to write. I was talking with a friend recently, a poet, and she had some rather entertaining suggestions for what I might tackle next. For example, a murder mystery where the, uh, the priest-turned-detective solves crime as a side hustle. It was Brad in the sacristy with a candelabra. Yeah, it's not going to happen. But there was another idea that she tossed out, uh, a more tender one. I know that my friend has been dabbling in church lately, just sort of wading in a tiny bit. And she asked me if I could write a How to Start Believing in God book. I'm not sure that I have another book in me right now, let alone that one, but, but I tell you, the idea has been following me around for weeks now since our conversation It was a beautiful question, an earnest one, a real one. How do we start believing? How might one go about choosing that? Could it even be a choice? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not sure I would send anyone to this part of Paul's letter to the Corinthians as a starting point on belief. I, I bristle at it. I feel frustrated by what sounds to me like just an awful lot of arrogance and circular reasoning. Paul is schooling part of this young church that he thinks has backslid in their faith, doubting the validity of the resurrection. But in fact... He concludes, Christ has been raised from the dead, but in fact. Now, for the record, I agree with him, but the way he asserts it, I'm not convinced it will help them move forward. And they are struggling. The the idea that God died and rose again, let alone the, the promise that we and those we love are not confined to death? That all those horrid little daily deaths do not define us? That our final deaths do not ultimately separate us? This kind of mystery is a big ask. I get why they might think it sounds too good to be true. Like maybe Paul, this, this wandering preacher who gathered them together in the first place, may have been spinning some lovely tall tales. Does this resonate with anyone? These folks in the early church were not alone. I want to back up behind this loaded word, though, belief. What does it it mean to believe in God or believe in the resurrection as Paul so desperately hopes they will? So often belief gets used interchangeably with cognitive assent. 
a way of thinking that is wrapped up in certainty with ready proofs and facts and unassailable reason. The Greek, though, is not so tidy. The word that Paul uses for belief just before we get into today's passage is pisteu. And yes, it is usually translated into English as believe. But with all our baggage and assumptions, I think we tend to miss out on the the nuanced messiness and great heart of the word. More than just a creedal proclamation, pisteo is it's about what we rely on, where we rest, what claims our conviction. Pisteo is where we offer our trust. Most fundamentally, this, this belief is about where we hang our hearts. It's not provable. Science is brilliant and crucial, and, and still it can't hack this mystery. It's a different category of question. Pisteu is a stance, a, a decision to move in the world with trust, hanging our hearts squarely on love. It is a bold claim, this mystery of resurrection with with death all around. I can hear the ringing pushback from the church in Corinth, all the questions they're lobbing at Paul. And this skepticism is every bit as reasonable now as it was then. Being mortal, facing decay, losing what we love sometimes daily, This is our context. Back to my friend's question. How then do we start to believe in this risen one? How would we begin to hang our hearts there with resurrection? Paul Paul does give us a signpost. Though it doesn't come clear in this passage alone. He offered it it first in what we read last week. He he remembered aloud all those who had told him this story, told him their story. Those who first saw Jesus after those three awful days when, when their friend was incomprehensibly moving and eating and blessing, yet still bearing those open wounds. Paul remembers those who met Jesus along the way. He points to those whose whose lives were turned upside down in the most extraordinary way by these encounters with the risen Christ. This, I think, is one way we might start. We begin with these stories, these shared experiences broken open, All these folks saying, something happened. And it was mysterious and wonderful and terrifying. And it changed me. I think that's what those early stories of resurrection are. They're gifts. 
and starting points. They're, they're places to invite our curiosity and hold our wonder. The amazing thing, though, is that they don't stop with the early church, even as their form evolves. They continue today. These stories of resurrection generally aren't as explicit as as Jesus walking through a locked door and joining the frightened, awestruck disciples. But they are no less real, no less life-altering. I hear them from this beloved community, from so many of you all the time. They come as the blessing of a person attentive and bold enough to speak up and inspire a life-saving diagnosis. They arrive in the form of an estranged parent, reaching out, out of the blue, making even a small effort to bridge that well-worn divide. There is resurrection in whole congregations naming their heritage rooted in enslaving people, reckoning, reaching to make amends and reparations. I hear it sing through for the person who has been shackled by depression, who finally discovers the right balance of meds and therapy who is set free at last to parent, to love, to really live. I witness it come again and again as as a whole community circling around in response to tragedy, knowing they cannot fix the loss. They cannot explain the pain away. But they can love those left behind for as long as it may take for them to stand again. And quietly, this resurrection arrives in the presence of the communion of saints who who join us, who warm our hearts and lend their wisdom in ways we cannot explain. And yet, somehow, as, as I hear from many of you again and again, we experience clear as day. I realize that given my role, I may receive these stories more than most. It is not exactly common small talk for folks as, as co-workers, are, co-workers are popping into Zoom or as we're waiting for our, our kids to come out of their classrooms at the end of the day. So, where have you seen resurrection lately? (laughs) Bonus points if you do this, though, and I want to hear how it goes. Still, this, this is the signpost that Paul offers us. We get to stay ready and open, search out this new life. We get to look for it. We practice this way of reaching for trust every week, every time we say the creed together. It's there at the very end when we say that we look for the resurrection of the dead. 
We don't say that we prove it. We don't say we can explain it or even that we understand it. We look for it. We receive it in these incredible stories. Stories almost unbelievable except for the fact that that they are here breathing, landing in our laps, still dripping with love. We show up and offer our stories that together we might keep looking for the resurrection of all that is dead among us. We do it in order that we might step more fully into this mysterious communion of our beloved and really live. We borrow witness and we give our own witness. We don't find all the answers, and we definitely do not learn how to trust this most unlikely new life alone. But as a body, we look for resurrection. We share these stories so that together we might begin to hang our hearts there on the new life that is rising.